0: Happy Sunday, Tampa Bay. We're with you for another week to talk about the Tampa Bay real estate market like we are every Sunday here on the Duncan Duo Show. I'm Andrew Duncan, joined by Mike Corrigan with Cross Country Mortgage. And, um, you know, out of the gate today, it's no secret that the real estate market, the labor market, pretty much everything has has been dramatically changed post-COVID. And one of the obstacles that we're seeing a lot, and and I kind of want to give you know everyone that's listening to this that plans on moving, either buying a home, selling a home, moving into a new rental, a, anyone that plans on moving uh, in the next uh, you know I would probably say year, um, to pay attention because there's some tips about hiring movers or moving yourself um, that I think are crucial to your success and how many obstacles that exist right now with the moving process. But I, I think the the first things. Um, Mike, that that are problematic sometimes are really locking down your moving dates when you're when you're buying or selling. Unfortunately, those dates can move a little bit because of obstacles that can happen during the real estate transaction. Um, But but locking down those dates. um, And and here's what I want to say about locking down the dates. Um, When you first go under contract on a house, don't lock down the date. They'll lock down the date until some contingencies are out of the way. You know what I mean, Mike? Till inspections are done, appraisals are like some of the process is done and you're within a few weeks of closing because 100%. too many people, too many people go out and hire the movers and they'll plan their whole world. They're, they'll read that contract with like with a fine tooth comb and interpret it all literally, but there's so much that can change financing can get delayed. There could be a problem with the weather. There could be a problem with the appraisal. There could be a problem with the inspections. There could be so many issues that pop up that people don't realize. And then they're trying to catch up or trying to change something. Realistically, you know, you probably want to be about halfway through the closing process before you start the moving process.
1: Yeah, 100 percent. That And that is, I mean, it's such a good point. And I think that's one of the, the areas when people do schedule the moving date for the day they're closing or the day after, and then something does go wrong where where the most stress happens, right? Because you're trying to coordinate so many different things. And so making sure you have a firm date, you're further along in the process, and even if you can, build in an extra day or two of contingency in there, even after you're, you're halfway through it, just to relieve you some of the pressure of trying to coordinate so many things at once, because so much is happening at once. And so if you can have a little bit of wiggle room in there, certainly would do so. Um, And it'll relieve a lot of pressure as as you're getting ready to move.
0: The other part about it is, uh, so when you finally decide, and this is whether you're putting your house on the market, whether you're moving to a new place, when you do decide that you're going to do it, even if you haven't started the process, even if you haven't put your home on the market, you're not entertaining offers, none of that, start decluttering, start decluttering and getting rid of stuff. Ditch as much as possible that you're not going to, you know, nothing's worse than paying movers to carry something that you're not even going to end up using, or you're going to throw away or that you're going to change in six months, you know, ditch all of your junk, get rid of stuff, declutter, you know, simplify your life as much as you can. Uh, As soon as you get ready and, and you know, you're headed in that direction, start that process, start, start putting stuff in storage, start getting rid of stuff, start selling stuff on eBay or Craigslist, you know, no matter what it is. Um, You know, do those things. Another big mistake that people make also um, when they move from one place to another is they don't realize how their furniture fits or doesn't fit in the new place. They, They don't measure their furniture. Maybe their couch won't fit or maybe it's too small. Go through your house and measure your stuff. And, and try and visualize and measure out the space you're moving into to make sure your stuff will fit. And if not, get rid of it. Don't pay someone to move it that once you get it there, you're going to not like how the couch sits in the room because it's too big. You know, get rid of as much as you can, but make sure that you are, are measuring to figure out what amount are you, are you moving into a bigger space? Are you moving into a smaller space? Factor that in to decide what you keep or don't keep and get rid of some of it. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. And there's even, there's a- apps out there now where you can take you know, film of of the space that you're moving into and then go back and take pictures of your furniture and kind of virtually place it in there to see how it's going to kind of look and see if it's going to look too cluttered and that sort of stuff. So utilize some of the technology that is out there to help you decide what you're going to take and not take.
0: Yeah, I think another thing, um, you know, you you have to decide whether you're going to hire movers or whether you're going to go the DIY route. Now, the, the DIY route, fortunately, provides a, a little bit of flexibility that sometimes movers can't because they have other clients. Um, yeah. But um, you know, you you got to rely on. Do you have enough friends and family to help move your stuff? You know, <laughs> and do you really? Do you re, are are you really young and in shape enough to to go through the process of doing that? A lot of people make the mistake of thinking all their friends will show up and help them move for a case of beer, and they find out who their real friends are on moving day when no one shows up and they're stuck. You know, trying to shove a couch up a you know, up a hill. So, yes. so, you know, truthfully, you know, the, the reality is, is that most of the time hiring movers is the right path, but it's not always. And when you do hire movers, make sure that you discuss with them the contingencies, you know, what happens if it rains, what happens if your closing gets delayed? Can they accommodate you? What happens if, um, you know, so something breaks, you know is there insurance if they break something far too often people will look for the cheapest mover and i think this the the old saying you know you get what you pay for applies to a lot for of sure. industries but it definitely applies to movers you hire the cheapest mover maybe they don't have insurance maybe they don't have the resources to store your stuff overnight if your closing gets delayed maybe they don't use Um, you know, maybe they don't background check their workers, you know, all all these things really matter. So, so when you're hiring a mover, make sure to ask these questions, you know, make sure to ask them, you know, what's the plan if this happens, what's the plan if rain happens, what's the plan if we need more time, can I, can the movers spend more time moving me? Because a lot of times they don't. Another big thing, um, about moving is, is, um, you know, your pets. You know, pr- you know, making sure that your pets can be accommodated in your new space is a big thing. Changing right. your address. You know, a lot of people forget to change their address. Um, and then they got mail. You know, they, they don't notify enough people about their new address. Utility, uh, setting up utilities. Um, you know, I can't tell you how often we get calls from clients. Frustrated because, you know, they didn't call to set up the utilities until the day before closing. And now they're going to be six days without Internet um you know do doing that stuff ahead of time making those calls and scheduling those appointments ahead of time uh you know can be super useful and and the nice part about the utilities is you know it's it, most most of the utilities today are pushing an electronic button if your closing right. gets delayed just call them and tell them hey look it's now moved to this day or it's moved to that day you can call those a little bit ahead of time but again don't go through the hassle until you're through some of your contingencies the deal might cancel you might have inspect the house and find out you don't want it anymore so make sure that you're not doing those things until a little bit more time has passed. So all in all, um, you know, another, another part of the, um, you know, the moving process is packing early, right, right? Mike, I mean, how, how often do people wait until the last minute and then their, their move doesn't go as well cause they're not as cleanly packed. So, yeah. you know, that, that's a, that's a, that's a big part of it. Um, Well, and that's the
1: old adage, it takes twice as long as you think it's going to take. And I think this comes into doing with moving, too. You know, you think, oh, I'll be able to get it done in X amount of time. And it always seems to take longer. There's always a hiccup along the way that you need to do. So you want to make sure you give yourself ample time and and do it proactively so you're not rushing. And especially if you're going the DIY route, you're not rushing and maybe you don't take as much care as you would. And then you end up with something broken um, because you rushed a little bit quick. So just, you know, be proactive and do it ahead of time.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. So, again, you're listening to the Duncan Do a Real Estate Show here on 970 uh, WFLA News. Uh, interestingly enough, higher uh, pending home sales surging paves yes. the way for, you know, housing continuing to explode. Um, more inventory and moderating price conditions are bringing buyers back into the market. So while things slowed a little bit in certain parts of the country, they really didn't slow in Tampa Bay at all. But while they slowed in other parts of the country, now they're starting to pick back up with, co- you know, continually low interest rates and, uh, you know, prices that are kind of stabilizing a little bit and a little bit more inventory. So it's bringing some buyers that that maybe jumped out of the market back into the market so, um Mike, what what are you seeing with interest rates right now?
1: Yeah. so interest rates have, have remained stable, and there's actually they've actually started to bounce up not drastically, but in the last week or two, they' started to bounce up after the last Fed meeting where the Fed started to talk about, yes, we're going to keep into you know the the Fed funds rate at zero, which really has nothing to do with the the mortgage rate that we've talked about in the past. but, um, They did start to to indicate they are going to begin towards the end of the year or beginning of the next year to end some of the tapering that goes into and some of the buying that the Fed is actually doing. Um, and so that spooked the markets a little bit. And we saw the 10-year Treasury notes start to rise a little bit and interest rates started to go up. Um, you know, that's going to be there. We do believe that it, it, it will, they will ultimately come back down. And we're just, And we, I've said it, been saying it for years, it doesn't go in a straight line down or up. It bounces along the way. So we've had a little bit, um, you know, an eighth, maybe a quarter higher, um, but we think probably towards the end of the year and the beginning of next year, it'll probably start to come back down.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it, but it, it plays such an integral role of in the uh, supply and demand real estate process. When interest rates are, are low, it drives it drives people into the market. When they start to creep up up it also drives people in the market because right. people are afraid that they might go too high so then they jump off the fence so so as long as they don't dramatically uh rise it, it tends to have a, a relatively positive impact on the market overall but we're continuing to see that pending home sales number and you know this is a time of year where you know i i coach my real estate agents a lot of real estate agents take off you know a large portion of the fourth quarter And, um, it's, it's a great time to buy. It's a great time to sell there, especially in Tampa Bay. We are not the North, you know, you know, it just isn't, it, it, you don't have all those obstacles here with weather and, and all these things that contribute to a slower real estate market. Our real estate market continues to hum along at a very aggressive pace. December tends to be one of the, you know, top couple months of the year. And this October, November, I think are going to be, um, drastically better than than expected simply because of the, the things we just talked about, the kind of simmering a little bit, but allowing people to not feel as rushed and, and, um, allowing them to make a better decision. So we're going to talk next, uh, after the break on the other side, six, six things people say about a home today that aren't actually true. Now I want to say this that aren't actually always true because sometimes they are, I read through the list and it's interesting. Uh, because some of the some of the things on this list happen very much on the regular in Tampa Bay. So we're we'll back when we aren't on air. Make sure to follow all of our socials. We are at the Duncan Duo Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, every social media channel out there. Make sure you're following us again at the Duncan Duo. We'll be back after a quick break here on the Duncan Duo show. So we're back here on the Duncan Duo show talking about the Tampa Bay real estate market. Andrew Duncan with the Duncan Duo with Mike Corrigan. Six things people say about buying a home today that actually aren't true. Now again. Uh, let me rephrase this. I'm going to say it that actually aren't always true because a lot of times they are true. The first sure. one is it's a bad time to buy a home. Um, it's not a bad time to buy a home. It's always a good time to buy a home if you're buying it for the right reasons. When interest rates are low um, and and when the economy is in good shape, I think it's it's a great time to buy a home. Um, people that say it's a bad time to buy a home simply are saying that because they want a better deal that just isn't going to exist for many, many years. I I think, and I think, Mike, way too many people when it comes to their personal residence try and view as an investment instead of their place of joy.
1: Yes. You know? Yeah. That's a big thing. You, you know, the place, your place of residence, you know, shouldn't be looked at strictly as an investment because it is going to be a place where you're going to live, maybe raise your family, you know, spend a majority of your time. Um, and there is more to it than just the dollar sense of uh, go into it. And we've heard so many people say, "Oh, the market's too frenzied out there now. It's in a bad time." And you know, frankly, it's just proven over and over again that it is a good time to buy. And, and all the statistics say, like we've talked about over and over again, it's going to continue to be a good um, time to buy for for several you know quarters and years to come.
0: Yeah, and and again, it's it's never a bad time to buy good real estate. You know, I right. mean, that's just that's just an old saying that I think holds true today. I'll have to waive a home inspection for my offer to stand out. This one is definitely rarely true. Um, you know, I, we we'll we'll sell close to a thousand homes this year, and I can't. I, I, it's very rare that we get an offer that waives the home inspection contingency. It's almost always in there. It, it's it's just rare. The times when it's not, it's somebody with significant construction experience. It's going to self inspect, or they're going to, you know, they're going to gut the house. It's really rare. So even in bidding war situations, um, you're, you're not going to have to waive your home inspection very often. I, I can't say that it, it won't help cause it may potentially, but most of the time it, it's not needed. Most of the time you're able to maybe just reduce the inspection period to get through it quicker. Um, so rarely is it necessary to waive the home inspection. Um, I'll need to bid tens of thousands over list price. Um again this depends on the purchase price you're talking about. If you're talking about a million dollar home, tens of thousands over the purchase price is it really that substantial uh, from a from a percentage standpoint. If you're talking about a 200,000 or 300,000 dollar house, tens of thousands over asking price probably right. not probably not realistic. Now, does it happen sometimes? Of course it does. A home's in a, a, an incredible house in a great neighborhood where there's strong demand and maybe it's aggressively priced, uh, certainly there are times that that homes go for tens of thousands over asking. Our most recent statistics, though, showed that on average homes were selling one percent above asking price. So the average, let's say three hundred eighty thousand dollar home is selling thirty eight hundred above asking price. That's the average. Are there occasions where it might be ten thousand plus over asking? Of course, but there's also occasions where it might be ten thousand plus under uh, asking price. So so there's no doubt that there are instances, but it's not the norm. To see, you know, tens of thousands over list price. Right. Um, I'll end up in a bidding war. Okay, that's one where I would say it's actually more likely than the other th- than the others that we mentioned so far. It's very likely in today's market, with zero point nine months supply of inventory, that you may make an offer on a house that someone else will make an offer on. Um, you know, again, it 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 doesn't mean it's always going to happen. It depends on the price point. You know, the higher the price the less likely that is to happen. Um, but there's a possibility of ending up in a bidding war. You know, the 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 funny thing that I find out about when I see the word bidding war, um, you know, a lot of times we'll get multiple offers on a house and people think it's a bidding war. But sometimes a lot of those offers are terrible and you've got one good offer. That's not a bidding war. You know, if you right. make a good offer, you know, there are people that are gonna make terrible offers. It's just so, you know, like, and of course, real estate agents, look, we're we're adamantly you know, you know, advocating for our clients. We're going to say things like, you know, hey, um, you know, this house has got multiple offers. Those offers may be terrible. We may only have one good one. So I'll need extra money, money to cover an appraisal gap. That happens sometimes, right, Mike?
1: It does. It does. And you're seeing more and more, but not, and not always. I mean, lots of times we don't see that on there.
0: Yep. And, and you're, you're also um you're I've seen plenty of them that are pr- of appraised above, you know, offer price. Yes, I yeah. need a perfect. This is probably more for you, Mike. I need a perfect <laughs> credit score to get a loan.
1: Yeah, you certainly don't. People think they need to have perfect credit. And that's not true. I mean, we have lots of different programs that even go down sub 600 on some of our FHA government loans that, that can be in there. And so you don't need perfect credit. Um, perfect credit will give you the best terms. It'll give you the best options. It'll give you the best, um, you know, ways you can go about getting it, but you do not need to have perfect. And so that's why a credit to, to or, or credit score. That's why we always say, reach out to us to see, and then we can talk you through what, what we need to do.
0: Yeah. And again, you may have a higher interest rate if you have a lower credit score, but one thing that I right. wanted to, um, to mention, there's no such thing as a perfect credit score. Is there, I mean, perfect credit score. I, I just, it's like a perfect home inspection. You know, like right. there's always something like maybe you don't. I mean, per, I mean, there's high credit scores, but then perfect is yeah,
1: perfect. Yeah, it. I, I've never seen one. You know, the FICO model that we use go from the credit scores range from 350 to 850. And, you know, I think about an 812 is the best score I've ever seen. So I've never seen something that's absolutely perfect. And um, I don't know what would make something absolutely perfect because it's always a moving target. Right. And then we take a look at your credit and that's a snapshot in time. Um, it can be there, so it's never going to be absolutely credit, but or you know, be able to perfect. be absolutely perfect.
0: So, for someone out there that does monitor the credit score, what's a what? What would you say is a relative a score that if you've got this score, you're probably going to be able to get a loan with a pretty good rate?
1: Yeah, anything above a seven hundred, you're going to be in the top tier. Above a seven forty is always going to give you the best. That's going to be in there. One thing I would caution people out there that it, there are different scoring models, and a lot of them are useful and they're useful tools, but I don't know how many times in a given week myself and my team have to say your credit karma score is not the same score that we're going to use. And it's a whole different model that goes into it. So we get people all the time that will say, hey, well, my credit karma score is a, you know, a 720. And we look at it and actually on, on the FICO model, it's, you know, 695. And, you know, people get upset. Sometimes it's the opposite way, too. And it can be higher. And it can be that way. But generally some yeah. of those services out there. Their scores will be a little bit higher, show higher, and people need to understand it's a whole different scoring model. But anything above a 700 is going to get you great scores and great rates.
0: We're going to be back. We're going to talk next about, um, you know, we're going to talk in our next segment about, you know, what whether you should offer above asking, like how much should you offer? Should you go below? Should you go above? There's a lot of factors that come into play. Every real estate market's different, but we're going to tell you some tips in Tampa Bay after a quick break here on the Duncan duo show. So we're back here on the Duncan duo show talking about the Tampa Bay real estate market, how much to offer on a house? Should you go below or above asking price? And look, there's really no perfect way to answer this question. There's so many variables that come into each specific house and each specific situation for you to figure out what the right path is for you. So we're going to talk through this a little bit. In Tampa, like I said in the prior segment, on average, homes are selling 1% above asking price. Now That's the average. There are certainly homes that sell below and certainly homes that sell above. The reality is, is how relevant is the asking price? Um, That's the first question you have to ask yourself. There's plenty of homes that are overpriced. That doesn't mean you should offer what they're asking. You should offer right. what market value is. You know, a, a funny story. I had a client many, many years ago whose goal was to buy a house 10% below asking price. That was his goal. We spent months and months and months and months. Finally, this house comes along for 550,000, and he offers 500 on it, and he gets it. It appraises at 500. <laughs> right. He thought he got a deal. When all he really got was he offered 10% lower than on an overpriced house. You know, so you have to base it on reality, not someone's asking price. Asking price is just sometimes a starting point. It doesn't mean that's what it's worth. So that's the first thing you need to know. Secondly, are you in a buyer's market or a seller's market? In Tampa, we're in a seller's market. So, you know, everything is in the seller's favor, you know, You've got to be aware that other people may offer on the home. You've got to be aware that the seller knows it's a seller's market. That basically means that there are fewer homes available for sale than there are for buyers. So in a seller's market, you've got to factor these things in. Another thing you have to factor in is how long has the listing been active and has it had any price drops? If it hasn't been active very long, you're less likely to be able to get below asking. You're much more likely to have to pay above asking because the seller isn't likely to take a lower than asking offer price, knowing the market trends, unless they've got a really bad agent or they're really misinformed. They're not likely to consider that early in the marketing process. They want to see if there's better out there. They don't believe that there isn't better out there until enough time has passed. So the longer the house has been on the market, the more likely you are to be able to get it for a below asking price. Another factor is, has it been dropped in price at all? Um, You know, a lot of times people drop their price because they're indicating a level of motivation to this change or they're more ready to move the house. Um, They're less confident about their original asking price. Uh, You know, sometimes that can cause buyers to say, okay, they're lowering the price and maybe they'll take a little bit lower. Um, So again, whether or not a home has had a price drop uh, is a big factor. how does the price compare to similar homes? You know, Mike, obviously people a whole if, if, if someone's getting a loan, it's still got to appraise, right?
1: Yeah, right. We're always going to use when you're buying a home and we're going to use the lower of the purchase price and the appraised value. So if the appraisal does come in lower, that's we're going to base our max loan to value on. And you would have to cover any difference that's going to be there if you were above, you know, the max that you could borrow.
0: And are there ways that you can effectively lowball and get it get a deal done sometimes? Um, If you are going to make a lower than asking offer price, justify it somehow. Show comps, show that it's right. overpriced, explain why, you know, don't just say, oh, because I think so you know, or, oh, because I don't like it that much. Well, then the seller isn't going to be super confident. You're going to stick around through the closing process, you know, back it up with data, support your position. If you're going to offer lower than asking price, then make sure the seller knows where you came up with your numbers, your figures to determine your number. If it's simply that you just don't like the house that much, then wait for the right one, go to the next house. That one's not the right one for you in this market. You're just not going to lowball people and get an offer accepted, except in rare, very rare circumstances. So If you're going to lowball, you know, justify your position, explain how you think it's worth that number, explain what you're going to have to do to the house. Um, you know, all those types of things matter. Um, you know, they, they just do, um, another, another thing to factor in, how badly do you want this house? You know, is it, I mean, when you walk in it, does your wife, you know, like start panting because she wants it so much, you know, um, does your, you know, do your kids love it? Do your animals love it? Do you love it? I mean, is there a strong attachment? Is there an absolute that you just absolutely have to have this house? If you just kind of like it and you feel like the market's hot and you don't want to miss out, you know, then, then maybe you don't offer above asking. But but if you really, really, really want the house, you have to factor in what's the opportunity cost of losing it. Yeah. And if you badly want it, you got to put, you know, you got to put your, you know, put on your you know, you're negotiating hat and put your A game forth because it's the only way you're going to get it is if you if you badly want it. And then how much to offer on a house with multiple offers? Look, we get these calls all the time. Hey, we want to know what your best offer is or how many offers do you have? Or I mean, that defeats the whole purpose of highest and best in the bidding <laughs> war. <laughs> right, if we tell right. you that, you know, like you're, you're basically asking me to undermine my client. So. So you're not gonna be able to find out much unless the agent's just really not very skilled or doesn't have experience negotiating multiple offers or is just not bright. So you're not gonna get a lot out of them. You know, realistically, what I would tell you, if you're in a bidding war situation, offer the absolute most that you'll offer that if it, if you didn't get it, you'd be dissatisfied. I think that's the rule of thumb. Offer yeah. the most that if you got it at that number, that's a max number that you'd be happy at, then offer that. Other than that, there's no science behind it. You, you could you could guess that a million different ways and get it wrong. So we'll be back. We're gonna talk about earnest money deposits. It's something that's common. There's disputes all the time that happen about them. There's so much confusion about them. We call them the escrow deposits in Florida. Uh, They're called earnest money in other places. They're called just straight deposits in other parts of the country. But in Tampa, we call them escrow deposits. We're gonna talk about that after a quick break here on the Duncan Duo Show. So we're back here on the Duncan Duo Show talking about the Tampa Tampa Bay real estate market. Is earnest money refundable? And and in Tampa, in Florida, this is the escrow deposit. Is it refundable? Now, it's a loaded question. That's not (laughs) simple. There are so many variables as to whether or not Uh, an escrow deposit is refundable. I want to start and touch on a few things. The first reason um, that an earnest money deposit could be refundable. Okay. Is if you cancel for a reason, the contract gives you. So let's talk about the reasons, the typical reasons. Now it's important to note. Every real estate contract is different. The terms are different. It could be a custom contract. It could be a Florida association of realtors contract. There's so many variables on what contract we're talking about. So let's talk about the the basic ones. If you cancel the contract for the inspection contingency, okay? So let's say you have an as-is contract and you have a certain amount of days to do your due diligence and inspect the property. If you inspect the property during that time frame and give notice during that time frame of your cancellation, you should get your escrow deposit back. That's a that's a pretty typical one and that's probably the most common one that happens in Tampa Bay. Wouldn't you agree, Mike?
1: for sure 100 percent. that is that is the number one reason that uh, contracts cancel and earnest money is refunded or
0: it, it's inspection but you got to watch out you got to make sure you do the inspection and notify during that inspection period if you do it after the inspection period you may not have a right to your escrow deposit anymore so again um another reason why the escrow deposit you know uh could be refundable if you are buying a condo condos in florida have a rescission period for you to review the condominium documents. Okay. This is a sticky one that I ran into recently. You have the, the condo docs have to be signed off as received. And the, the purchasers have three days to review the condo docs. If it's a resale condo and 15 days, I believe it's 15 days, 15 days to review the condominium documents on a brand new condominium, uh, purchase that's never been lived in or sold to someone else. So, if you look at those condominium documents and find something you don't like, within your rescission period, then you can cancel your contract and get your escrow money back. Okay? So that that's a reason that the contract gives you. And then here's our favorite one, Mike. This has got to be this is your favorite one. There's two of these here on the financing front. The first one is you're denied a loan during yeah. the loan commitment period and you provide notice during the loan commitment period. The loan commitment period is basically the period of time in which you're required to show the seller that you have a commitment from a lender to loan you money, typically around 30 days, sometimes shorter, sometimes longer, longer. But the, if you get denied your loan during that period and you provide notice to the seller and there's nothing else uh, withstanding in the contract, you tip, you're going to get your escrow back. And Mike, that's always the fun one, right? When the buyer gets denied their loan.
1: Well, yeah, it's always not something uh, fun for, for us to do or anything else, but uh, I mean, it does happen. You know, People just um, sometimes don't qualify or something happens during the process that maybe is completely unexpected on all fronts. Um, you know, people lose their job, right? Or some order, sort of unexpected expenses come up that they spend the money and you know, um, they don't have enough money to close or something hits their credit. There's things that do happen. On that that can come up across the time, and then there's things that people can do to avoid things that happen. Like don't quit your job, right? You know, right. time to go ju- new job hopping is not while you're buying or, a
0: home or or, or buy don't a new go car. buy a car, buy furniture from right. Rooms to Go on for, credit right. while you're waiting for your loan to close and you mess up. That's income. So Thanks, my friend. So again, those are reasons that you can get your escrow deposit back. Typically, another one is the appraisal. Look, yes. there's part of that loan commitment period that isn't just about qualifying you. It's also about qualifying the property. The property has to appraise at or above asking price again, unless there's something else written into the contract, the standard contract right. you know, provides for this, that if the home appraise is short, the buyer's financing is essentially declined, not because of the buyer, but because of the property. And the buyer can then cancel the contract for a reason the contract allows. So in those instances, Sometimes there's a negotiation that can ensue. Maybe the seller drops their price. Maybe they meet in the middle. Maybe the buyer wants the house so bad. They make up the money anyway. But regardless, that is a reason that typically the buyer can get their deposit back if they cancel the contract here, here's, um, one more that, that gets missed, that's a sneaky one. And then, then I'm going to talk about the reasons that you're clearly can't get your escrow back, but a sneaky one is forced majeure, Mike. If there is a storm, or an act of Mother Nature, or a catastrophe, um, if there is something that uh, takes the property's condition drastically different than from when you went under contract, the contract allows you to cancel. Uh, again, the standard one. Again, depending on which type of contract you use, this is all. You know, this is not always foolproof, but typically, if a storm comes through and damages the property, or if a storm comes through and knocks out power. If a storm comes through and does something drastic to the property, typically the buyer can cancel and get the escrow deposit back. So yeah. let's talk about some reasons why you're not going to get your escrow deposit back. You waived your contingencies. You said, you know what, I'm going to buy it without any contingencies. You right. ignored timelines in the contract. In other words, you decided after the inspection period that you wanted to cancel based on inspections. Or you just simply got cold feet and changed your mind. Those are not reasons the contracts are typically allowed to be canceled. Sometimes, again, there's other things in there that allow you to cancel. Maybe you have a contingency, you have to sell another property. Maybe you have, um, you know, something written in about, um, you know, the sale, you know, of something else. I, I've seen even uh, sale of investment properties to be contingent upon, right? you know, so, so there's a lot of variables that come into play, but that hopefully helps you understand it as to, you know, the ifs, um, you know, ins and outs, so to speak of getting your escrow money deposit back if you cancel a contract. So I want to talk next about when can a seller back out of a home sale? Look, we talked about escrow deposits, right? So the, obviously that's protecting the buyer and the buyer gets their deposit, but, but what are some reasons the seller can back out of a home sale? Uh, and again, there are times where the seller changes their mind, right? Mike, they, they decide to stay, yeah. they, you know, lots, lots of different reasons, right? So, um, Let's talk about this first off, when the contract hadn't been signed, okay? Like you don't have a contract until you have a contract. Like a contract requires execution by all sides and conveyance. okay? so so if you don't have uh, that, then you don't have an actual deal. So the seller can back out until you have an executed contract, okay? Sometimes there are periods written in where, um, you know, sellers require review of a third party. Sometimes they want their attorney to review it. Sometimes the property is owned in an estate and, you know, it needs to be reviewed by all people. Um, so sometimes they're, they're, um, you know, escape hatches in there as well. I've seen one recently where sellers put in that they want to be able to find their replacement property within a certain period of time because they're afraid of going homeless. They don't want right. to get out there in the market. So there are times when a seller says, you know what, if I don't find X within, um, you know, this you know, timeframe, um, then, then the seller can bounce. Now let's talk about the two that are the most common. Okay. Right. The buyer doesn't follow the contract terms. Okay. So this goes back to the inspection period, the appraisal period, the loan commitment period. So if the buyer somehow pops up and says, Hey, I don't have my loan commitment and it's day 31 and it was required on day 30, the seller can cancel you. Okay. Or you haven't done your inspection. You had 10 days and it's on day 12. The seller can cancel you. You didn't put up your escrow deposit. You know, the seller can cancel you. So that's probably the most common one where sellers will back out of a contract because the buyer didn't do what they needed to do. The buyer needed to take certain steps and they didn't do it. So then the seller says, you know what? I want to go back on the market or I had a backup offer or I had a better offer and the buyer didn't honor what they were supposed to do. Right. Those are probably the most common ones that you would see. Right, Mike?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You're going to see that for sure.
0: Here's the other one the buyer requests repairs the seller is unwilling to do. Now, every contract is different, but one of the most commonly used contracts in Florida is the as-is contract. Now, fun little note here that probably gets lost in most real estate transactions is this an as-is contract, the buyer is allowed to do two things, move forward or cancel. Anything other than that, the seller can technically say, You're violating terms of the contract. Now, is that generally what happens in in real estate transactions? No, because typically they find some sort of common ground and the seller will agree not to have to want to start the process over. But agents have to walk a very slippery slope when they start talking about sellers making repairs on an as-is contract. The seller, in some instances, and we've had this happen, we've had it happen with sellers that were attorneys recently where the buyer said, hey, I want you to do all these repairs. And the seller says, no, 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 no. You just violated the contract. There's nowhere in the contract that allows you to ask for these repairs. You can either move forward or you can cancel. Which would you like to do, Mr. Buyer? So make sure you're reading the contract that you've signed. A lot of people don't read them. A lot of agents don't read them. They think they know what's in them just because of, you know, norms or things that typically happen. But the reality is, is that sometimes the buyer requests repairs that violate the contract or that the seller disagrees on. Seller says, you know what? That's outside your repair limits. I'm not doing those things. And the buyer says, well, I want them. And the seller says, okay, then we're canceled. So there are reasons the seller can cancel. Now, similar to a buyer, okay, seller just can't change their mind, okay? But here's the key. Here's a key point, though, okay? If a seller changes their mind, the buyer can try and force specific performance to force the seller to close. The legal process for that is drastically expensive. So what usually happens if a seller wants out, typically the buyer's going to get their escrow deposit back. And unless we're talking a really expensive deal or a really attached buyer that doesn't have a problem paying a lot of attorney fees, typically if a seller changes their mind, there's not a lot that's going to get done. Now you can threaten legal action. You can, um, you, you know, you can take those steps but there's just not a lot that's going to get done. So anyway, we appreciate you tuning in. We're here every Sunday at 10. Make sure to follow us on all of our socials. We are at the Duncan Duo for all your real estate updates and needs and have an awesome rest of your Sunday, Tampa Bay.